Let us pray. Gracious living God, we give you thanks that we can give our all to you because you have the strength and love for us to carry it. We give you thanks that you can be our all in all, that you, the creator of the universe, love us so that you turn your eye, you open your arm, you hold us together in the might of your arms. And so, God, we come to you this morning with those things that are on our hearts. In particular, we lift up Diana um, Alvarado, um, who lost her mother yesterday. God, we pray um, that your healing hand, your comfort may rest with her. We lift up Pat Steelhammer um, as she is healing. Uh, we lift up Tia Johnson. Uh, we lift up Zeb Catchett, um, who is uh, not uh, feeling well. Uh, we continue, of course, uh, to lift up our uh, dear brother, John Hafner, um, as he continues to recover uh, from a stroke. God, uh, we pray for the people of Ukraine who are caught up um, in this deadly warfare. God, we pray for you to keep them safe. And God, we pray for your peace. We lift up this ongoing coronavirus pandemic that in the places where it is still surging, that people may know your protection and may know your healing. And God, we lift up mothers. We lift up mothers of all kinds. Those that biologically brought us into the world those who we found along the way, we lift up those women who poured so much of their life into us. God, we are deeply thankful for the mothers that we had in our lives who formed us in the people that we are. And so, God, we lift up and pray for those mothers in thanksgiving. We lift up all mothers that they may know your strength, know your power, know your comfort. God, we pray for mothers who are struggling that they may find their way in you. We lift up those who have complicated and difficult relationships with their mother, God. We pray for healing and for things to be made whole, God. We lift up those who desire to be mothers but have not yet been able to, God. Uh, we pray in all things, in all ways, for there to be comfort and peace. But God, may we take that love that came from you, that mothering love that came from you as all love does, and may that have formed us in such a way that we can take that love that we receive and pour it back out into the world. That if we are to learn anything from the mothers that we had, may it be to share love and comfort and peace everywhere we go. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Um, invite the children uh, to come forward. Uh, Pastor Emily has a message prepared especially for them. You just get there so quick. It's remarkable. <laughs> good morning. Good morning, good morning. So did y'all do something fun and special for Mother's Day this morning for your moms? Not yet? You're going to do something? Yeah. There we go. This morning, I gave my mom this. The Mother's Day things I made at school. How fun and exciting. What did you do, Jay? Same thing as Thomas. Same thing as Thomas. Got, it's, it's, praise God for school teachers that remember Mother's Day. <laughs> All right, and what about you? I, today I, I got dressed up really pretty as a dress, but, 
but I have a, a stuffed toy from, from my birthday party. Oh, that's wonderful. All right, guys, so I have a question for you, like I usually do each week. And you might have an answer in your mind already because we've kind of been talking about them. But who is somebody in your life that shows you love in really big ways? Who is someone who loves you so, so, so much? Jesus. Jesus. Who else? Yeah. God. God. Yeah. Your mom. Your mom. Yes. Does your, does your mom show you love in really, really big ways? Yeah, your mom or your grandma, whoever loves you and mothers you, do they show you love in really, really big ways? What are some ways that your mom shows you that she loves you so much? What's a way that your mom shows you? She let me have a donut for breakfast. Amen to that. All right, what else? My, gra my, my grandma always buys me new toys. Buys you new toys. That's wonderful. How else do they show us they love us so much? They hug you. They give you hugs so big. What about you, Kaylee? What's a way that your mom shows you she loves you so big? Um, not, can't think of one on the spot. I know. I really put you on the spot this morning. Okay. So now what I need you to do is close your eyes. And picture that love from your parents, your grandparents, all of your family that loves you. Imagine how big that is in your brain. How big is that love? Is it really big or just a little bit big? What do you think? I say the size of an elephant. The size of an elephant big. What do you think, Jay? I think the size of the world is it all the way to heaven size of the world and all the way to heaven. That's right. Our mommies and grandmas and families love us the size of the world and all the way to heaven. Okay, now close your eyes again and picture the size of the world and all the way to heaven. And then what I want you to imagine is this. Did you know that God loves you even bigger than that? Whoa, did your mind just explode a little bit? Yes. Exactly. What the size of an elephant times infinity, right? God loves you so much. Isn't that amazing? All right. Infinity and beyond. Infinity thousand. That's right, Jay. All right, guys. Well, let's pray to God and thank God for that love this morning. Does that sound like a good idea? All right. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Dear God, thank you for loving us so big. Thank you for giving us moms to show us how much you love us. So, so big. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the gospel according to John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. At the time of the festival dedication took place in Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life, and they will never, never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. See, is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, I, I have a real deep and abiding love for Indiana Jones. Sitting in my house right now is a Indiana Jones fedora. It has you know, a real place of pride um, on the hat rack in my bedroom. Um, uh, you know, it, is, you know, it only gets worn on very special occasions. I wore it for the Christmas play um, uh, back in December because it, it fit the 1940s theme of the show. I love that thing, right? And Indiana Jones, the idea of Indiana Jones of being part-time college professor and part-time worldwide adventurer uh, sunk deep into my bones in a way that I'm not really fully comfortable with. The fact that that was like 10 years of my life, I lived my own faith-based version of being Indiana Jones, part-time college researcher, part-time worldwide adventurer. But I want us to think specifically about Indiana Jones um, and, and, and the Holy Grail, right? His quest for the Holy Grail, the Last Crusade, right? Who here has seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Okay, most of y'all. Great. This is fantastic. So I'll give you the real basic premise of the movie. Uh, Indiana Jones has ended up with his father's Grail diary. He's now going to set out and race against the Nazis, um, because that's how they always go, uh, to obtain the Holy Grail. Eventually, he does run back into his father, who is played by Sean Connery, who is fantastic. Uh, and they find themselves at this, like, temple tomb thing where the Holy Grail supposedly is. And there's all of these tests and trials that they have to go through to get to the Holy Grail, right? And the Grail diary shows them the way. And so there's one where, like, Indy has to, like, kneel or his head's going to get cut off. And so that's supposed to be an act of devotion to God. My favorite, maybe, he gets into the, into the room and there's all of these cups, right? And you have to realize that Jesus was a carpenter, right? Jesus was broke, Right, he like he was a he was a traveling rabbi, right? The son of a carpenter. He was just like an, a working class guy, and so Indiana Jones picks the working class guy cup, other than rather than all the gold and gilded one. Love that image. But those, none of those are what we're actually talking about today. We're talking about the leap of faith. Okay, so he gets to the edge of this precipice, and you, whether you've seen the movie or not, I'm going to give you the visual. Okay, that's what it right. So he gets to the edge of this precipice, um, and on one side of the precipice is where he is. And on the other part of this unpassable chasm, let's call it 35 feet. I have no idea. This unpass, you can't jump that, right? No, no, not even an Olympian could jump that. Um, so the stream can hear me. I'm back on, Ken. There we go. Okay. Um, on the other side of this chasm um, is the door that he needs to go out of. What? is Indy going to do? He's, there's nothing for his famous whip to grab onto. What's he going to do? Well, when he opens up the Grail Diary, there's a picture of a knight just walking across this kind of cabin. It's this, right? This has been sketched into his father's Grail Diary that you need to do somehow, if you are faithful enough, you will be able to cross this seemingly un- chasm. How? You need to take a leap of faith. And so there's this great image of Harrison Ford's foot sticking out. I'm going to do it. You're going to see it. Let me show you. I've done it perfectly. Um, stepping out over this chasm. And he steps. And there's a walkway for him 
to go on. But he could not discover, he could not truly know that that walkway was there unless he had done the thing where he steps out in faith. That it involved knowing truly that he would get caught involved in and of itself taking a leap of faith. And there is something important about building a relationship with God, of growing our relationship with God, of having a relationship with God that involves taking that leap of faith. Plenty of proof is out there, but you're never going to fully eliminate the fact that there will always be that little bit of uncertainty as you take that first step. Because the crowd that gathers around Jesus in the temple, by the way, this is the only time that Hanukkah shows up in the New Testament. Jesus, the, the festival, the dedication, um, that's the festival, the dedication of the temple, that's Hanukkah. Jesus is in Jerusalem to celebrate Hanukkah uh, with menorahs. I don't know if he got presents. What do you give Jesus, right? What do you give the Lord of all creation? What do you give him as a present? I guess they gave him a cup, right? Like from the movie, that cup came from somewhere. Maybe this is where the cup came from. It was his Hanukkah gift. Anyways, so he's celebrating Hanukkah in Jerusalem, and a lot of other Jews are doing the same, and he finds himself in the temple, and what these people want is proof. And in some ways, this is kind of a preview of what's going to happen to Jesus down the road, where some other temple people gather and put Jesus on trial, and they all basically have the same questions. Jesus, we want to know for absolute certain. We want 100% proof that you are the Messiah. This is verse 24. This is them asking Jesus. They want more proof. They need more proof that, that, that there's too much doubt. There's too much ambiguity. Um, and so in verse 24, uh, they ask Jesus, excuse me. Um, there we are. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Fair enough, right? Look. There's a lot of people in first century Judea traveling around claiming to be all kinds of fancy things. You know, sometimes you can read the New Testament and the parables and you go, darn it, Jesus. That's what I say. Darn it, Jesus. Can't you just speak to me plainly? Okay, so they ask him, darn it, Jesus. Can't you just speak to me plainly? And so in verses 25 through 27, he does exactly that. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. He literally just said, you asked me to tell you the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. All of these works that I'm doing, all these healings and traveling, traveling around doing, this is proof that I am what I say I am. If I weren't, how could I be doing those things? And so the only difference between you and the people who follow me is the people who follow me have put two and two together, and no matter how much proof I offer you, y'all don't seem to. And you can understand that desire from those folks. They want the proof. But Jesus reminds them that they have received that proof. They have received that proof over and over and over again. 
Same at his trial, right? When they gather him and after they arrest him, after Peter cuts off that guy's ear and Jesus puts it back on, he gets put on this show trial, right? And he says, like, are you the Messiah? And he goes, you say that I am. And he goes, tell me you're the Messiah. And he goes, look, I've been traveling around telling people I'm the Messiah for years. If, it's, if you're not going to believe it, if you haven't got it by now, you're not going to get it. I've offered you that proof. And so part of me thinks, okay, so uh, maybe this is good news for all of us because if Jesus was not able to reach everyone that he preached to, and he's literally Jesus, the Son of God, God among us, the creator of all the universe, if he was unable to convince all the people to follow him, you could go, cool. Then when I fail to reach people, when the outreach that I do doesn't land, okay, fine, I can take a little solace in that. Right? The fundamental difference between these folks and the folks who follow Christ has nothing to do with what is being offered by God and has everything to do with what they are able to connect with. And this is where I kind of have to take a little detour for a second. When we talk about reaching people for Christ, when we talk about convincing people about the reality of God, when we talk about some of the barriers that people have in believing, yes, some of them are people are natural, some people are naturally born skeptics. I'm one of them. Coming to faith was incredibly hard for me, it took years. Um, struggle, the struggle is real. I am not one who easily believes, um, and it took me a long time, long, far longer than it should have, frankly, to get there, but I did get there, and praise God for that, right? And so what Jesus is running up against are the natural skeptics. But we also need to pause, and I'm going to use a quote that Gandhi didn't actually say, but we often give Gandhi credit for saying. Um, it's that, I love your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. One of the things that gets in the way of people believing is natural skepticism, right? The fact that believing in something you can't see can be hard. As Jesus reminded us in, at the end of John's gospel, you know, blessed are those who believe without seeing, right? It's hard work. But sometimes people don't believe because they look at Christians in the world and they go, well, they don't even believe this stuff, so why should I? This doesn't seem to be making a difference in their life, so why should I let, why should this be real if it's not even real to them? How we move and act and grow in the world does impact the state of our own soul, although God does forgive us, but it also creates a place where we are sometimes, we are the only Bible that anyone's ever going to read, right? This is one of those like really trite things they teach you in children's ministry, but it is actually true. It is truer than the sticks and stones may break my bones or words will never hurt me. That's an absolute lie we tell children. A truth we tell children is you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. And so as we think about as we think about overcoming people's skepticism, as we think about challenging ourselves and others to take that leap of faith, for those of us who have found that faith, one of the ways we can help others believe is to live that faith. Live it out. Let God's Spirit transform you and live that faith out loud. Because if you live a life where there's a thin line between Saturday night and Sunday morning, however you wish to define that, what testimony are we giving to the world 
about the reality of what is happening in our own souls. Because for anyone who wants to come to faith, for anyone, there is still going to be some measure of a leap. Oh, there we go. I'm going to stick the landing on this, I promise. Some measure of a leap of faith. That God has poured proof in abundance out there. We talked about some over the past couple weeks. We're going to talk about it for a couple more weeks. But you can also look at the grandeur of nature in the cry of an infant, in God's word, in the testimony of the people around you, seeing God do miraculous things in communities. God has done and is doing miraculous and mighty things. God did them in Christ. God did them in our ancestors. God is doing them right now. They are happening in this church today, right? There is proof all over the place. But it doesn't take out, the, out of it the fact that at some point, with a little bit of uncertainty left, folks are going to have to take that leap and say, I put my faith in this. And as soon as you do that, there is God's arms around you. And there is even more love and even more power and the power to transform your own life with the Holy Spirit working within you. Yes, no matter how much proof is out there, there is still that last step that is a leap of faith. And so may we take that leap. May we, whether for the first time or the hundredth time or the thousandth time, we call our people the people that we call ourselves, the people of the second chance. That second part, little bit of a misnomer. Um, many of us have had many second chances. Um, if you're only on your first second chance, you're a heck of a lot better than I am. Whether for the first time, or the second time, or the second second time, or the hundredth second time, or the thousandth second time. May we all take that leap of faith. Look at the proof that has been offered. The miracles in our own lives the miracles in the lives of the people around us, the miracles in Scripture, the miracle of our life itself, the miracle that a mother put up with any of us. Mother's Day is proof that God exists because someone put up with us. Jeez Louise. And may we indeed take that leap because God's going to catch you. God is there. God wants you to know it. We are saved by faith. And so by taking that leap, by putting our faith in God, yeah, God dragged us to that precipice. God offered us God's grace to get us most of the way there. We've got to take that last little step. It feels like it's out into nothing, but it's actually stepping into a brand new world in God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. Okay. okay. Sort of loud noise. We give you thanks that you love us. We give you thanks that you pour your love and your proof into this world. God, may we hear it. God, may we hear it and be willing to take that leap of faith. God, 
We hand our lives over to you. We confess in our hearts that you are our Lord. You are our life. God, fill us with your grace. We may be transformed as your people. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to grab the hands of people around you, form one united body in Christ, because indeed, by the power of presence of God's Spirit, that is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Take that leap of faith. Experience the true love of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.